Hey everybody, welcome back to the next episode of Luminous Beings. I'm Kyle. I'm Nathan. Welcome back everybody. This week, man, I'm excited to talk about this. We've This has been on our slate for a long time. It's, uh, I'm glad we're finally getting to this. It feels like it's the right time. It just, things have lined up in such a way that talking about this now works and it worked out really well. Uh, we're talking about Alan Moore. That Alan Moore, the one we all know and kind of scratch our heads over. That Alan Moore and his contribution to Star Wars. Like, this guy worked on Star Wars at one point in the 80s, very early 80s, under under the Marvel UK imprint of Star Wars. We're going to get into that, but Nathan, what's going on, man? How are things in your world? Oh, not bad. It's, I mean, I, I say this every episode, but as, as good as things can be i guess that's good <laughs> it's uh, you know creeping up on the holidays uh, as we're recording this we're kind of smack in the middle of u.s thanksgiving yeah if you're uh, listening to this now uh happy thanksgiving to our u.s supporters I hope you guys are having a great day and going to tuck in to watch some football or star wars or something later today but and and listen to this especially yeah. if you're listening to this later well you should have been a powerful friend <laughs> <laughs> so um that Ahsoka in Mandalorian, huh? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, not not quite. Oh, pins and needles for that. But before yeah. we let's get let's give ourselves pins and needles of a different kind here. <laughs> With Alan Moore. Look, before we get really into the nuts and bolts of his Star Wars stuff, let's 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 talk about Alan Moore himself because the guy, he's a giant in the comic book industry. Marxist Man. wizard Alan Moore. Anarchist Alan Moore. <laughs> he's a fascinating guy. Um, so he's he's born in the UK in 1953. Uh, he's been growing out his beard ever since. Um, and uh, for the purpose of this podcast, just we'll say that he's most known for uh, game-changing comics like The Watchmen, uh, The Killing Joke, V for Vendetta, and a classic run on Swamp Thing, which I'm still dying to get my hands on. But he's he's one yeah. of those guys like Midas Midas touch. Oh, I've heard so, nothing but like heaps of praise for what he did with Swamp Thing. That that story that he weaved over a lot of issues was yeah. it, one of the great sagas that you'll ever read. One day I'll get to that. But uh, he he's one of those guys along with, you know, Frank Miller and Neil Gaiman and I'm sure others who in the 80s helped comics go from these silly pulpy adventures that were really almost uniquely for kids and teenagers and grew them up air quotes grew them up into the much more mature uh material with a lot of grown-up themes a lot of grown-up visuals and language um and in recent years he has distanced himself from anything to do with with mainstream comics especially the superhero stuff that we all know and love he hates this shit now he doesn't want to touch it doesn't want to talk about it and it's, has basically cut himself off from it. Well, it, it, it's more so the, the industry itself, I think, that he's distanced himself from. You know, I mean, he's been screwed over by particularly Marvel and DC. Uh, and I think I think that's where the animosity comes from. I, you know, I definitely don't think he enjoys where comics are now compared to where they were when he was at his height and some people could argue that that's um you know personal bitterness <laughs> but i you know i mean I, he got some some crap deals especially from dc 
um, regarding his own work and um, royalties and things. I, 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 as far as I know, he doesn't even accept royalties for his work. <laughs> yeah. So you know, Watchmen and if you watch, I watched V for Vendetta back, you know, at the beginning of November, as was appropriate, and um, you know, no created by Alan Moore, like. Same with Watchmen. He doesn't want his name on those movies, uh, and he doesn't like those those movies. <laughs> Which is, you know, it, it, hey, it, he created it. It's fair if if he's not happy with <laughs> with an interpretation of his own work. But um, yeah, I mean, th- this is the guy who, I mean, he's he's most famous for really writing comics about comics. You know, when you look at Watchmen. Especially, it's you know, it's it's a send up uh, and an examination of um, what superheroes were at that time, back in the eighties, and it's. Um, I mean, the guy's just so smart and so thoughtful. Even about you know, even even at the time when Watchmen was written, um, we weren't in this era where superheroes were taken seriously. You know, it was, it was kid stuff. And yet he has such thoughtful takes and examinations of these characters and the concepts and, and the worlds. Uh, it's just fat. He's just a fascinating guy. And um, I'm still a big fan of him, even if um, he is bitter and, you know, he his beard contains all the malice of the of a thousand worlds. But <laughs> you know, he's a great guy, uh, I, and I I still love him to death. And um, I know a lot of people that you know are, are kind of think that his his angry shtick is is a bit played out and are kind of sick of it, and whatever. But it's like. Well, you know, it's one of these things. You look at it from his point of view, you can kind of understand where he's coming from. And he's never really wavered. Like when you ask no. him about, like he talks about, and it's funny that we were doing this. Like I, I watched a video from uh, Patrick Willems, who did you know, he did? Um, what's the point of R-rated superheroes? Or like superhero oh, yeah, that movies just came out the other day, right? Yeah, it's a brand new video, and I, I just happened to watch it because I like the guy. I like his take on things. Mm-hmm, and a whole lot of Alan Moore is in there. And I, I was not taken aback by it, but I wasn't, you know, as I was preparing for this episode, it was nice to kind of have that, that uh, the same thing going on, the same energy kind of coming out. And I was like, Ooh, look at this. And it was just talking about how, you know, the stuff is meant for kids. Why do you need to have it sort of uh, pushed to that boundary of, of hyper violence with blood splatter and, and, people getting stabbed in the nuts like what is all this and alan moore kind of feels partly responsible for it when you look at a a game-changing comic like uh the killing joke which as a kid i loved oh this is badass this is so cool yeah and that like i I, when i got back into comics about a decade ago that was one of the first comics i repurchased because I, I I had this as a kid. I got I don't know where my copy as a kid went. I gotta have it back. I so I bought it oh, back. It's an, it's an essential, you know. It's one of those DC essentials. It's yeah. It's in that vein. But I I didn't enjoy it. I read it and I was like, ooh, I don't like this. Like it just it feels icky to me now. It's it's not like I remember. I'm like this was like the coolest, edgiest, most badass comic in the world. And then I read it. And I was like, ugh. 
And then watching this Patrick Willems video, <laughs> he goes, he's like, Alan Moore, and I didn't notice know this until a couple days ago. Yeah, Alan Moore doesn't like it either. <laughs> no, he's like, I regretted writing it. Th- like three months after I wrote it, I regretted it yeah. because because of you know what that led to. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, okay, so you feel the same way about that particular piece of your work as I do, because of where yeah. like so much has come out of the back end and and kind of acted as not pseudo sequels but spiritual successors to the killing joke that have that really gratuitous violent edge to it and he he just sees it as pointless yeah i um, see i i have a lot more um bandwidth for for that kind of stuff i i don't mind the hyper violence in movies or comics or tv or whatever you know i i i have a certain uh limited like not or i should say not unlimited but i have i have an appetite for that kind of thing um but i think the problem is and i think the killing joke is interesting because i I think it is saying something about you know it's using that hyper violence uh and you know i mean one of the unfortunate parts is is the sexual violence yeah Um, yeah but it (sighs) yeah it is using that to say something i think uh, on a certain level, but um, it, it's one of those things where, and, and we see this a lot, <laughs> even in Star Wars, where people take the wrong lessons from these things, you know? If any people, at all. Yeah, they ignore the subtext, and all they they see is uh, blood and gore and uh, action, action and violence, and they say, "Well, listen, this worked really well. Uh, let's just transfer this over to everything." Yeah, but they, and, they don't, they don't ask the why. Work. Why does that work, or why does it not work? They say, "Oh, cool, exactly." exactly. It's, um, you know, it's. Well, speaking of V for Vendetta, <laughs> I don't know if you saw. Probably a few weeks ago, uh, there was a picture going around Twitter of a person. I think it might have been at that million MAGA march in DC a few weeks ago, but someone was carrying a bl- thin blue line flag while wearing a V mask. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> wait a minute, you you really didn't understand what was going on in that story, did you? <laughs> You're very very confused, sir. And I assume it's a sir. <laughs> uh, I would I would think so, but uh, yeah, it's like, I mean. E- this is the problem is do you hold the artist responsible for the misinterpretation of their work? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough, yeah, that's a tough one. Real tough one. So it's, um, it's tricky, and, but killing joke, killing joke is a little less murky, I think, because it is so gratuitous, especially, uh, especially when he's doing these things to characters that aren't his, and have a have such a long history and legacy. Um, it's it's a little more. Well, maybe this wasn't the place to tell this story. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that Willems gets into, which you know it's it's not going to sound revolutionary to anybody. But you have characters like Superman or Batman or any of these known quantities. There should be a certain a limited elasticity for what you can do with them. But if you want right. to create the Watchmen which can be totally yours or spawn and that's all yours go to town. 
Yeah. Find that niche market for that material. Make it as violent as you wish it to be. Go for it. But if you're dealing with stuff that already has a core, you you kind of have to stick with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you know, the genie is out of the bottle. It's that like it's it's game over. Like we've we've we're decades past that now, and we live in a world where now like Alan Moore's work and and Frank Miller, uh, the you know the Dark Knight Returns, those sort of those are sort of the cornerstones of modern comics that we see today. Where there, every, not, there's nothing really unless you go to IDW, everything now has has got to have that realistic gritty edge to it. Yeah, it's a. Uh... I mean, Frank Miller's a whole other <laughs> ball of wax. But I mean, it's the same kind of thing where, you know, he wrote Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns. And I mean, people who, who may not be familiar might not know that before that series in, in the mid 80s, um, you know, Batman was not nearly as dark as he is today. And it was, <laughs> you know, I mean, you had... Um, um, Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill, who had sort of started them down that path, but I mean, the gulf between their stuff and where Miller took Batman <laughs> is is fairly wide. Yeah, like and, uh, the, O'Neill and, and, and Neil Adams took like the Adam West stuff, and over twenty years, slowly glacier speed took it down a, yeah. a more serious path. Where Frank Miller just said, "Screw this," bam, and jumped forward you know, a, a quantum leap in terms of maturity. Yeah, and I mean it's not like it's not like Miller's other work didn't wasn't in the same area. I mean, you look at year 1 and it's the same sort of tone. And uh, but but I think I think the thing is Dark Knight Returns was so different and it was sort of an Elseworlds kind of tale set in the future and that kind of thing. So I think I think it was this this thing where um people wanted to emulate it. Um well, it was hot, it, right? It, so well, well, and it was it was the first graphic novel, you know. Dark Knight Returns was the first graphic novel, um. So obviously, that set a whole new standard. But the problem was, it was Frank Miller really leaned into this um, <laughs> uh, fascist take on Batman, and it was almost like the industry or DC at least collectively agreed. It was like, okay, yeah, well, Batman's a fascist now. So <laughs> everything we do going forward. <laughs> People seem to like it. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it, that is like, okay, I understand what's going on here, but you're really asking me to play ball with something that's not great. <laughs> yeah. You, you're, so. you're trusting that we all kind of wink at each other and go, yeah, Batman is this. But only because yeah. he's unshakably doing it for the good of all. Like, there, yeah, there's I no mean, way there, Batman there, will waver. You have to disassociate <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, pray to God that we never have a Batman <laughs> in real life, you know. It was like, <laughs> okay, you know, in pretend land, okay, fine. <laughs> well, it, but if that, Batman ever shows um, up here, I'm going to be protesting. <laughs> that, that's what makes Red Sun so interesting. The Superman uh, that that kind of grows up in like communist evil Russia. That that the the, pri- yeah. the principle is interesting. <laughs> I don't know that it was executed super well, but the idea 
could be interesting, if, especially especially since when that come out or had come out, it's made for people who are conditioned to be very afraid. Yeah, I mean, it sounds great to me, but <laughs> those are my own leanings. So. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's meant for people who are terrified yeah, of. It, it came out at a time when you know. We were much closer to the fall of the Soviet Union, yeah. and, and there was still a lot of Red Scare. I mean, it's not like there's not Red Scare today. I mean, we saw that a fair bit in the uh, U.S. election. But uh, anyway, st- Alan Moore, Star Wars. <laughs> well, do, I mean, do you have any experience with Alan Moore's work outside of this crazy Star Wars run? Oh yeah, I'm a big fan of his work, Watchmen and 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 V and yeah, you know, I mean, it, I've got them right here. He's fantastic. He's, uh, I love the guy. Um, but this is the first time I've ever, you know, this week was the first time I've ever actually gotten into <laughs> this wonderful Star Wars material. Oh man! All right, so let's. Uh, I'm in love. It's crazy. I love. It. It's so <laughs> wild and weird. All right, so like we said, Alan Moore's. A fairly quick run on Star Wars happened in the early 80s. It started as five black and white short stories, comic book format. Uh, The versions I read um, are colored versions that came out under the Dark Horse imprint, who got the license to publish Star Wars comics from Lucasfilm uh, in the late 80s, early 90s or so. And so they were all published in this two-issue Devil Worlds miniseries. It was seven stories in all, five of them by Alan Moore. Uh, one by Steve Moore. I, I don't think there was a relation relation there, but um, and one other by Steve Parkhouse. And we're sticking just to the Alan Moore gold. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, some of these stories have Alan Davis art, and it's you know, I mean, it, it's pre Alan Davis on uh, you know, like Excalibur, and oh, but it, it's some fantastic stuff. So I love this preface that I picked out from the Dark Horse. <laughs> These stories were originally commissioned in the early 1980s by Marvel UK for their Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Black and White magazine. Longtime fans will remember that these early Star Wars comics, both in the US and in Great Britain, did not stick as closely to the established style and continuity then as they do now. (laughs) The stories are presented here in America and in color for the first time as historical curiosities and take a look at the early work of, of some of England's finest creative talent. I love this. Oh, it feels like an like yeah. an, it's an upfront apology for the weirdness that you're yeah. about to read. Yeah. Okay, buckle in. The eighties were a crazy time, guys. There was a lot of yeah. cocaine. Please keep that in mind as you read this. And I I don't know if Alan Moore ever had issues with with uh, substances. I'm just saying there was a lot of cocaine in the eighties, and it's. Just... Oh, I think there was substances, but I don't think he had issues with them. <laughs> but anyway, they. If you, if anybody's wondering, you can you can read these. Uh, just search Devil Worlds if you've got Marvel Unlimited, or you can get them on Comixology. Uh, you know they're readily available. Yeah, and I definitely recommend it. Like once you're done with this, it's it's. We're going to talk about each of the Alan Moore stories, but it's they're worth going to check out. Not only just for the art, but just the the, the time warp. I love going back to those. Old, old early comics from the 80s they're great <laughs> literally a time warp in one of the issues <laughs> spoiler alert yeah i thought i thought you'd love that one <laughs> jesus christ i was but, like honest, i'll be honest okay this is an admission 
when I, I, I heard about these stories and that was the one that I heard the most about. And I heard a little bit about what happens in that last story. And I was like, time travel in Star Wars. Oh, we got to cover these. Kyle's <laughs> going to lose it. <laughs> anyway, he's, Alan Moore, brilliant mind. He's all, he always has a take, a, a vision, something to say through his work. There's, there's never any fluff. Um, but for all the weirdness that we're about to dive into, I I found some kind of really very standoutish connections to what we've got on screen, in, in particular in the Disney era. Mm-hmm. I, I that each one of them caught me by, by surprise. At some point, I thought you'd think that I'd be like ready for something, but no. Like every time I, I holy cow, look at that! Yeah. No, I there wasn't there wasn't a moment when I wasn't enjoying reading these, like every story had something that was just like, I don't know. They're very charming. And part of it is because they're so different from what we understand star Wars to be now. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, more only had so much to go on <laughs> when he wrote these. Um, yeah. The only, the only things that existed was a new hope empire, some already established Marvel comics, and, a, and yeah. a splinter of the mind's eye, a couple of Han Solo books. And which, I can't imagine that Moore had read, you know, any of it. any of the novels or <laughs> even the comics. Yeah, for sure. All right. So jumping into the stories proper here, uh, the first one is called The Dark Lord's Conscience. And I actually really like this one. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. And I have to say, I'll say up front that especially in this time period, it's hard to find a good rendering of Vader, but man, uh, you know, Stokes nails it. Yeah. Stokes nails Vader in this, in this comic. It's very static Vader, but yeah, it's, 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 it's nailed. It felt like a, it's not, it's not the weird warped helmet and, you know, squat mask that you often see in, in old star Wars comics. It's, it's beautiful. No, it's re- it was really good. And and the dialogue throughout this short story, it, it, it feels elevated to a place where Star Wars doesn't really tread. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it felt weird. And it's, the dialogue thing keeps coming back for me and I'll get to that towards the end. Yeah, it's very, Moore's very wordy in these issues. And part of that is the time, but he is definitely, um, he's padding this out. <laughs> well, if you fl- just, if you flip through the, a Watchmen collected edition, and just the amount of words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so here on the in the story, we have Vader on the planet of Chilit, playing this game of, of big board space chess. It's like a room-sized game board where the... I mean, they didn't dig too deep here, but the pieces look like chess pieces. Like, <laughs> except for one, one that had them... like Neon Numbs... Looks like it had a <laughs> yeah, Neon Numb face. It's a head, yeah. <laughs> it's, that was weird. And one of them, one of them looks like... Uh... Like a piranha plant from Super Mario. Yeah, but the rest, like the knight was there and the king was there and the queen was there. It's like, wait a sec. Could you, you could have tried. <laughs> and his opponent, oh, his glorious opponent is like, is, is an octopus in a floating glass ball. So he's, yeah, I he's want got this... the weird creature thing down. I love it already. This guy's got to show up with Mandalorian, right? Yeah. Come on. Like, and and that's another theme. It's like, uh, each one of these stories, there was at least one thing where I'm like, oh, I hope this shows up in Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, like I, a, anywhere, really. I'll take it anywhere. 
Yeah, a big pink octopus in a glass ball just floating there playing chess with Darth Vader. Like, he, oh. I, I hope that wasn't sort of the inspiration for Boar Gullet, but minus everything that makes the glass ball guy cool. Yeah. True. Anyway. <laughs> um, and then along comes Clat the Shamer, which I love that name. <laughs> Clat the Shamer, who is an, an empath. Who looks a lot like Alan Moore himself. I, I thought that was weird. I'm like, is that just you? Is that is that your <laughs> portrait? True. So his power, I don't know, he must be some sort of force user, but he's got the power to tap into people's shame and guilt and regret and like the shitty side of their conscience and get those people to act on it or feel like really feel their, their guilt and notably get them to commit suicide and remove themselves from, I guess, from the galactic chessboard. Yeah, he sort of like brings everything up from that you're unconscious, you know, all of your latent guilt and brings it to the forefront of your mind all at once to the point where you can no longer uh, cope or tamp down that guilt and it sort of forces you to deal with it. Yeah. And <laughs> in, this... In, this, in this instance, uh, it causes a stormtrooper to shoot himself through the chest. Yeah, so. it's made very clear that once people feel the full weight of, of their regrets and their guilt, the only way out, the only way to cope with it is just to end it. And that's his goal yeah, is just to get bad people out. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about a stormtrooper, like the stormtrooper remembers all of the, the women and children and the innocence that he's killed. Yeah. Um, and then, so, so then comes some uh, great dialogue, which at least thematically should sound familiar. Only in death is their atonement. Mm hmm. And a bunch of uh, Ben Solo stands are probably <laughs> not happy with that if they've read it. <laughs> and, but that, that's a, it's a very Star Wars thing, right? The only way, mm -hmm. whether it's fair or not, right or wrong, the way to atone in Star Wars is to give up your life for, for what you've done. Well, and this is pre-Jedi, so this is pretty prescient. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely. Like, nobody at that point knew where Vader was going. Alan Moore didn't know where this was going. And then only, only death can free you from your quagmire of guilt. You know what you must do. Mm -hmm. God damn. If that doesn't somewhat sound like a Kylo Ren. Mm -hmm. It's pretty interesting. So yeah, like you I said, I gotta say, I'm just stopped on this page and that panel of that stormtrooper, because the stormtrooper has his helmet removed and he has since the beginning of the scene. And obviously that's on purpose. But that, that panel of him shooting himself is real affecting. Like, that look of, of grief on his face. <laughs> it's just like, as he has the blaster turned towards himself, firing into his chest, through his armor. It's, uh, man, Stokes is nailing this issue. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, like you said, the, the, the guilt on the stormtrooper. So, Clat, I mean, his goal is to get to Vader because he's, I guess he's heard about Darth Vader and the death and destruction he brings across the galaxy. I'm going to get this guy. And so, <laughs> uh, more kind of underlining or underscoring Vader's either lack of willingness to, to atone or th there is no guilt. There is no shame. There's, there's nothing there. It's just anger and death with Vader. And so Clat shows up and he's like, yeah, you Vader, you're, can't you feel it? And he's like, no, <laughs> stand there. How about you stand there? <laughs> so this big giant room chessboard that they're playing in 
the way the pieces are are taken is basically they go up in flames. And so Vader kind of, uh, yeah, 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 you're staying. Okay, yeah, right there. Stay right there. Beep. <laughs> Just torches him. <laughs> so here, Clad's giving the Vader like the, the riot act, the guilt, the guilt trip for everything he's done. And Vader's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two feet to the left, please. And you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's really fun, especially looking back now. Um and knowing about Vader what we do, it's it's interesting that's like this guy assumes that Vader has buried the guilt of all of the atrocities he's committed. But no, it's all of these things are always at the forefront of Vader's mind. He hasn't buried anything. Yeah. It's, never... it's all right there on the surface and, and so <laughs> there's nothing left to bring bubbling up to the surface. He just always has this ability to to swallow it or, or to channel that guilt into more dark side power. And exactly, it, it, yeah, he never really, Anakin never went away. And it to me, like this story, again under, underscores that Anakin and Vader are the same person. This like, whole idea yeah. of of whether it's Kylo and Ben Solo or Vader and Anakin, it's the same. Like we can't we, we can't play this game of no 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 they were different people. It doesn't count. No, yeah. it's the same guy. They're all they're responsible for the things they've done. And I, yeah, I, I, I love this. I love that. Uh, I actually really enjoyed this. this. This was a great way for me to go into Alan Moore's Star Wars and go, huh? Yeah. There's nothing really weird about this at all. Like it was, this was good. Yeah. No matter how much Vader wants to believe that he's a different person from Anakin Skywalker, he's the same person. Just because Vader says he's a different person doesn't make it true. <laughs> You know, Star Wars is the whole riddled with the whole story of Darth Vader is that he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, and the, the the you know unreliable narrator thing in Star Wars. Yeah, nobody knows what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, uh, story number two: Blind Fury. This one, I guess, I feel like these things, these stories get maybe a little progressively weirder, but I still enjoyed this one. <laughs> so the story starts a big page of of Luke kind of being swarmed in the dark by these really bizarre lizard creature type things. One's just a skeleton with a sheet over its head. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> Hey man, can you just draw some like really nightmarish lizards and creatures swarming Luke? Yeah. That, that's, that looks good. <laughs> and then, then we cut to a scene of him uh, blindfolded training with some ball remotes, very much like in a new hope. But then the, the narration says he's in his X-wing training. Like, yeah. <laughs> wait a sec. He's like swinging, uh, and you can see the paneling from the Falcon. Yeah, yeah. You see like the, the background. yeah. You like you see like the <laughs> round door, like round padded door doorways, like you see in the Falcon. Yeah. And like the, this is Luke in the hold of his X-wing training. And it's like, wait a sec. Where does he have like a <laughs> sixty square foot room to train in on an X-wing? What is it, the TARDIS? No, that that's a mistake. Some some sleepy editor had a had a rough night out and just you know, missed it. Just missed it. That's all. Now, I I wonder and and I thought the same thing, but I'm reading that caption now and it says he had been practicing when the emergency beeper sounded, his X-wing flying on automatic. Now that could mean that the X-wing was flying next to the Falcon. <laughs> Uh, okay. if we want to nitpick if we, you know if we want to try to make sense of this <laughs> so Luke's flying the Falcon 
and the X-Wing, but piloting <laughs> I guess, neither. I guess so. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. So and he, I guess they didn't have the budget to get Harrison Ford to show up in this comic. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so fed up of Star Wars. Uh, so Luke receives a distress signal from a woman on the planet of Garn, which Luke goes, ah, Garn, I know that place. I, where do I remember that place from? I, I, I don't know, I got, I, but I got to get there. He gets there. It's a, a, a dead, barren landscape. And he sees like a mountain thing off in the distance, a temple. He, okay, I, okay, that's where I got to go. So he he goes in and it turns like he goes into this darkened fortress and he's swarmed again by dark beasts. So I guess it was like a, it's the book. This story starts in like a flashback. And then, in, yeah, or I couldn't tell if it was a flashback or a vision. Like, yeah, because it, you know, in, in one panel, he's stood there with his lightsaber ignited with a monster covering his eyes. And then in the next panel, he's in the exact same pose, but he's just blindfolded with the training remote in front of him. So it was I, I was wondering, like, was this a vision he had while he was doing his training? Yeah, a vision or a premonition, or yeah. did the story start in like that Quentin Tarantino way, like one hour earlier? Mm-hmm. Anyway, the, the the creatures are called pale squirmers, which is <laughs> that's quite the name, Alan. That's quite the name. So Luke escapes these creatures. He's fumbling around through the dark, through these caves in this mountain, and he, all the while he hears this disembodied voice calling to him, and he comes upon this room full of skeletons wearing ancient Jedi armor. And there's these on the floor are is like a pile of I guess bowling ball sized crystals with images of, of faces within them. And for me, I'm going this, I remember this. And if, you know, if you're a comic book reader, your memory should be triggered too, because you're not wrong. This, the mm-hmm. very idea here, this was like the first sledgehammer to the head for me going, Holy shit. Like, <laughs> Somebody at Marvel now read this, <laughs> this exact idea and characters we'll find in a second was pulled into the Screaming Citadel series from a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I was like, what? This was stunning to me that they actually reused Alan Moore concepts. You know, it's uh, I, I'm in the same boat as you where I, I had no idea that was a pull. Um, you know, when was that? That was... 2016 four, 17 four years ago yeah i had no idea that was a pull from this none and like the, the the ancient jedi roar at the center of that screaming citadel story in trapped in that crystal it was a much smaller crystal in the in the more, more modern story but and this was a big great big room-sized crystal with roar trapped in it mm-hmm. same character and I, I my mind was just blown yep and so luke luke is determined that he can't beat this thing with a lightsaber, so he looks for alternatives to fighting and just tells Ruhr the simple truth about what has happened, that there's the, the Jedi and Sith, they're, they're all gone. I'm I'm not even a Jedi myself. Like, there's no Jedi, there's nothing. And so Yeah. Well, I, I think we need to go back and, and just talk about this ancient Jedi armor for a second. <laughs> well, it looks like Viking armor, right? It, it's like this weird mix of like Norse and Chinese, ancient Chinese, Japanese kind of like it's this weird blend, but it's definitely not. 
you just got associate with Jedi. No, but you just got Dave Hackerson's attention in a big way. Yeah, (laughs) there's definitely a lot. Like I do see a fair bit of Norse influence there, but there's definitely East Asian influence in this. You're you're terribly, you're completely right. But it's 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 like I would not have gone this route (laughs) for Jedi ancient Jedi armor. It's so aggressive and and dark, and like it's not even like a it's like a dark red kind of a it's 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 it was it, a choice it is <laughs> like when you look at jedi what jedi robes look like and even the like the small pieces of armor they do wear like like kenobi does design the opposite of that and <laughs> that's what yeah that's what this jedi like, armor is described as this is like something you'd see in conan like it's it's it, pretty barbaric looking yeah so now in this moment luke finally has the, the the revelation of oh god i remember what garn was now and it's a site of an old battle between the jedi and a group called the order of the terrible glare and <laughs> alan moore with these pale squirmers and terrible glare and <laughs> his naming conventions throughout are just like wow what a choice and so this guy ruhr uh, transferred his essence into this crystal but as as luke points out in the story ruhr lost track of the eons. And so Rur is just sort of in this, he perceives time differently, if at all. And so he's just waiting for more jet. The, 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 the distress beacon was a fake. It was a hoax. And so it was Rur just, his goal is just to lure in Jedi and kill them. Yeah. But, and apparently he can sense the vibration of an active lightsaber through like subspace like like across vast distances across light years i guess yeah which which i i think that's i don't think we've ever seen that star wars before but i think it's a really interesting concept that you could detect a lightsaber yeah especially if like you know they're being powered by a kyber crystal you can sense like a little resonance or a little frequency ripple there's so much concentrated energy you know, you'd think you'd be able to pick that up on some kind of sensor. Like, I think that's an interesting concept. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, so Luke explains, just tells Rur the truth, that all the, all this stuff you're doing, there's no Jedi. You're, you're wasting your time. And so Rur loses it, and the temple starts to collapse. Uh, Luke escapes. And then the last two panels like really stood out to me as something that we've seen in Star Wars before. Like, really recent Star Wars. And it, the, the, the Luke's line is... Or the narration is, there's a lesson here somewhere. Perhaps if he stares into the flames for long enough, it will be revealed to him. And I immediately shift to Acto with Luke mm-hmm. sitting with Yoda, watching the forest tree burned as he's learning or relearning an important lesson. I don't know what the lesson well, is in, in, for this story, but I'm like, I again, I really enjoyed this story. Well, Rur's tower, when it's burning in that second to last panel, it almost looks like a tree trunk. Yeah, and maybe yeah, that that's that helped me go to Acto. Yeah, I I, I really I, wanted to I tweet also... Ryan Johnson to say, "Hey Ryan, <laughs> did you? Uh, is this you here?" <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, but I was also thinking about. Um, it also reminded me of Luke staring into the flames as Vader's armor burns. Yeah, and again, this is this is at least what a year two years 
before Jedi. Mm-hmm. So again, like a if it, it's weirdly prescient in a way. Yeah, it's almost you wonder if Lucas <laughs> got inspired by Alan Moore rather than the other way around. Well, I mean, the thing is, they were he was Lucas was possibly in. Uh, maybe he might have been in London when this was when this was printed. I mean, he may have had that magazine. Knows, you know, he'd have been working on well, Empire was out. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure things were happening for Return of the Jedi, but he was also working. I'm sure he was full speed ahead on Raiders of the Lost Ark at this point. True, true. But who knows? Like he could have gotten his hands on this and said, oh, what are they, what are they doing with Star Wars? Oh, God. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I pretend like Lucas would have had to go to London to get a copy of this. But obviously, you know, <laughs> you never know, though, like somebody could have it could have been just like an innocuous thing. He's in his office, wherever preparing for Raiders of the Lost Ark or Return of the Jedi. And someone goes, hey, George, you ever see this Marvel stuff in the UK? Who's this Alan Moore kid? I, I like what he's doing. <laughs> write, write, write some things down in my notebook here for part three. You well, never I mean, know. We know, Lucas, we know Lucas reads the comics. You know, I mean, it's he's he's a comic book guy. He always has been. Well, he's got he kept art for, like he bought original art from the 2016 Han Solo arc. Yeah. I mean, he has apparently he has uh, first rights or first chance at buying any of the uh, any art that goes really on sale. Yeah, supposedly, yeah. Huh. Uh, that's, that's, that's fair. There's only so much he can buy. Let's face. I mean, he could buy it all. There's only so much he can display, no matter how big his house is. I mean, if I was if I was negotiating a deal with Disney, I would put that in. <laughs> I'd say, listen, if you're going to sell any of this stuff, I want the first chance to buy it. Okay. In fact, I'm just going to buy it. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would put that into my agreement. In fact, just have all your artists send their originals to me. That's how yeah. that's going to go. <laughs> Um, how did, did you like this one? Yeah, I mean it's 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 this weird like horror. It, it, it's it definitely shows me, and and you you brought up the tie to uh, Screaming Citadel, but it definitely proves that like Star Wars can lean into the horror occasionally, and it works. I mean, obviously. We'll come up with better names for monsters and things. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it, it, it was really cool. I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much on its own, but it's definitely a lot of fun, especially with the ties to current continuity, like with Rur. And I wonder if, if what was it? The pay, uh, no, the um, Order of the Terrible Glare? Yeah. Oh, was that? I wonder. Was that the influence for the um? What was it? The Ordu Spectu or Ordu Spectu? Yeah, because you know it's like factions of Jedi fighting each other. Yeah, you possibly. And, and what stood out to me here is that like, okay, this is like Star Wars isn't always exclusively Jedi versus Sith. Order of the Terrible Glare. Yeah, sure. Why not? Why not have these guys do battle with the Jedi? Why not? Yeah. The thing I don't like about it is that now I'm going to have to go back and read Screaming Citadel, and I hadn't planned on ever doing that. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, do I need to go back and read that? And I was, hell no. (laughs) I can't. Nathan, you'd be ashamed to see the stuff, the pile of X-Men stuff I have to read here that I I just haven't touched since buying it. 
Oh, it's there's so much. I I I understand. I understand. There's so much. I gotta talk to you after about helping me sort this out and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, I, again, I don't I don't know what Alan Moore is really saying here. Like, what is there's a lesson here somewhere. But I don't know what that lesson is. I gave it five minutes thought. I don't know. I'm not that smart. I don't think Alan Moore does either. That's why he didn't explain it at the end. He was like, there's a lesson here somewhere. Guess you got to figure it out on your own. <laughs> ah, yeah, I don't know. The only Honesty. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Next story. Rust never sleeps. And here we get Alan Davis. Oh. <laughs> oh. I already have. I feel the swell of pity coming for Mr. Five Lines. <laughs> well, but we get several pages of him before we yeah. lose him. All right. So in Rust Never Sleeps, like this one is all about droids and I guess uh, human humanity versus droids. The idea of of droid exploit droid exploitation, uh, the notion of the ghost in the machine, stuff that we've visited in Star Wars a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. And like the, I love this title card and this on this issue yeah it was uh, it was cool uh the opening panel is is a freighter literally opening its hold and just dumping its trash which is thousands and thousands of droid carcasses onto a, a planet called the ronyards i think and it's a, yeah that's how i was saying it. it and it's basically a planet of nothing but droid bodies and it's it, this has been going on for centuries and then from out yeah, of the you almost get the idea that it's a it's a planet that was formed from just droid debris. You know what it made me think of? For anybody who watched the 86 Transformers animated movie, The Planet of Junk. It, <laughs> it's a very similar vibe. It's just scrap metal robots living on this planet. And even the even the landscape looked very similar. I don't know if that's served as inspiration. I can't think that it did, but you never know. Like the the you know, comic and animation industry is there's a lot of crossover there with people who do the work well i mean and trash planets have have come up a lot in in star wars i mean you've got like the droid cartoon i think wasn't there a um i think that that was like a like like the great heap (laughs) the great heap (laughs) the heap yeah Yeah. something like that heap heap yeah and you know i mean we've got a trash planet in uh in Clone Wars, and and they go to one in Freemaker Adventures. Like it's, it's not a, a strange concept for Star Wars. No, and we get into it here. Uh, so out of the out from the wreckage springs forth our two favorite droids, R two and three PO, and they're on a bit of a mission to warn surviving droids on the planet that the Empire is coming to strip mine their planet, do what the Empire does, which is just take a planet's resources and move on. And like to convince them, you need to fight. The Empire's coming. They're bad. You got to stop these. You got to fight these guys. But the droids there, eh, they seem much more pacifist. And this is where we meet oh, our beautiful Mr. Five Lines. <laughs> our big 10 foot tall boy. Oh, he's such a good boy. <laughs> and so he's he kind of acts as like 3PO and R2's guide. And he's like, nah, man, <laughs> it's all good. He, he's <laughs> extremely large for no reason. <laughs> He's just like, he's like three times the size of 3PO. Yeah, he's huge. And he's just got this chill demeanor about him. He's like, ah, man, we're all scrap droids here. We we have all kind of shared one soul. It's a bit, yeah, whatever, guy. We'll take care of it. He's got like, 
sad like like hound dog eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, no way the Empire's gonna come here and do what you're saying. No. And then a Star Destroyer shows up, stormtroopers land, and Mr. Five Land's like, hey guys, welcome. And they shoot him and kill him. <laughs> <laughs> And I see T3PO's off to the side going, oh, no, he's just so, he's so, like, Mr. Five Lines is, like, melting down. Yeah. It, it was horrible. It was horrifying. <laughs> he's just, like, molten. He's, like, a molten chunk of metal on legs by the end of it, just crumpling. <laughs> and like, they, It's so dramatic. Yeah. Well, it got me. I, I miss him already. I need a Black Series, <laughs> yeah. uh, Mr. Five Lines. <laughs> I have... There's no, there's no, no two ways about it. This, this series could support its own action figure line. <laughs> they really, I mean, they should look into it. Alan uh, Moore, you don't even have to pay Alan Moore. He probably wants nothing to do with this. No, oh god. And so, <laughs> feeling the, sh- the feeling, I guess, grief of some kind, or being wronged, the planet kind of awakens in this massive swirl of like garbage robot action. The Star Destroyer is trashed. All the stormtroopers are killed. It's everything is gone without a trace. So the empire yeah, it's like sucked beneath the the trash ground. It it was really weird. Like in what world does this happen? <laughs> it's 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 weird. Like they turn themselves into like a giant Hoover and sucked in a, a star destroyer, <laughs> yeah. and it's gone without a trace. And that's part of the that's the idea is that the empire will never find out what happened here, other than. A Star Destroyer got here and then disappeared without a trace. Mm-hmm. And like they won't it, come looking for it or anything. <laughs> oh, they certainly will. But you get the way that that Star Destroyer was disposed of in like one panel. <laughs> yeah, it would, I don't think it matters what the Empire sends; it would be equally destroyed. True. I also love the idea that like there's this entire planet that's completely made of you know defunct droids. And no one's ever thought to come to recycle any of this material <laughs> until now. Like it got to the point where it's a planet and no one considered, Hey, you know, instead of mining, like, why don't we just go and recycle some of this? It's so ridiculous. And, and the idea that all these robots kind of compressed one on one on top of each other for you know, eight miles deep. I think they mentioned how deep the pile of droids goes, but they've all kind of like, melded together and they share like one giant robot form that's yeah i mean that's fantasy right i mean we shouldn't be looking for the guy at at the core of the planet who's got all the droids patched into this mega computer getting them all to work together like it's if this is still fantasy yeah sure the ghost and the machine kind of all swirled together as one okay yeah it's funny to me how so it's this weird phenomenon with with these old Star Wars comics where they have the feeling of science fiction, but at their core, they're still very much fantasy. Yeah. At least for this. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I would say across the board, this is very much fantasy. It it feels very doctor who, you know, it's where it's, (laughs) it's got that sort of veneer and the styling of science fiction, but at, at its core, it's, it's very fantasy. That's our second Doctor Who reference in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like I said, at, at the top of this one, Star Wars has, has often 
dealt with droid rights, including in Rebels, but most notably with L3. And mm-hmm. this has got to be one of the early swipes at that at that theme. Yeah. So I, I again, I enjoyed this. So I'm going through this whole Devil Worlds thing, expecting to be completely <laughs> I, I flummoxed and not displeased, but like, why am I doing this? This is weird for no reason. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> but I'm. It's it's, a, it's this is three for three here. And sweet Mister Five Lines, rest in peace. I, I will never forget you, sir. But this is three for three. I, I I like the three stories. I'm going. Why? Damn it! Why isn't Alan Moore doing more Star Wars? A little a little more. Can expensive. you imagine? Can you imagine if Star if Alan Moore came back to Star Wars now? Oh my! Like give him give him a mini series on Disney Plus. Oh like. my god! Well, you know if <laughs> Star Wars want, Alan? <laughs> if it wasn't owned by Marvel Disney, yeah, I think he. Well, I, I would say there's a, a a better chance that he'd come back, but given the powers well, that I mean, be, it, it seems pretty clear to me that you know he enjoyed Star Wars when, when he first saw it. I mean, he oh, wrote yeah. five issues of this com, you know, of these comics, uh, and, and you know, I mean, they're they're not like a a slap shot job, you know. It's it's very they're they're well considered stories. Yeah, there's there's something here for in, in each of them. Well, I guess for yeah. me the wheels start to fall off next, but <laughs> but um, yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of finding myself regretful. This is sort of like a final thoughts thing, but I'm 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 a little bit sad that George Lucas at some point, and I know he was a hugely busy guy in the early '80s, but I wish there'd been some contact. And maybe there was uh, between him and Alan Moore going. I like what you did, assuming Lucas liked what he did, and. and I, I would love to do more. Like, can we get some more expansive Star Wars stories together to, with with one another? I, I wish that had yeah. it happened. Yeah, I mean that would have been. Oh, I mean, I it, it's not like uh, in this period that Alan Moore didn't get really busy. Um, yeah, <laughs> at at DC, but uh, but yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, obviously it would have been so fantastic to get more of it more more of this <laughs> or maybe more of this story number four the pandora <laughs> effect <laughs> this is the first one yeah. that i would i would say i would classify more of the lackluster one for me and even like this is i was excited it's the first one that brings in uh leia han and chewy i'm like all right and it's the right there up front on the first page great I, let's we've got luke out of the way vader the droids so promising. We've got a hunchback. We've got a guy with a horn on his head with a pet lizard. It, uh, everything's you know. looking up. I mean, is that a slave auction in the background? That's a little unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you gonna do? But yeah, this guy, this guy, like the the shop owner, like man, that guy needs to show up at Mandalorian. Look at that guy. That's a great design. I don't remember what that guy looked like. The guy with the spots on his face. Oh yeah, he's holding the, uh, holding the, the necklace. Yeah, out to the hunchback. Yeah, that's a great design. It's a very yeah, that's a very good Star Wars got design. A, got a funny shaped head. It's a little Star Trek, but I think it'd work in Mando. Yeah, the the way there's a, there's a lot of simple robed people in this. It almost mm-hmm. looked, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like Robin Hoodish, the Friar Tuck look. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like. Um, 
it's kind of got a Sinbad kind of feel. Sure. Or or again, going back, it, it's kind of got a Conan kind yeah. of feel to it. So Hannes is escorting, he's supposed to be escorting Leia on a diplomatic mission. And I don't know why you'd trust Han for that, but he decides to shuffle off to the side uh, to do some smuggling between. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go here first. Imagine you've got like the rebel's top person with you. You've got a crush on her. Not only are you going to break from mission, but you're also going to put her in danger. That's so Han Solo, but uh, I guess I put that on rebellion leadership to even trust him in the first place. So, of course, they run into trouble. And they're, they're in space occupied by the Empire, but they get into trouble, like some local trouble with, with a, a, a gang the, who see themselves as sort of like the, the, the boss of the area. And so the, they take off on the Falcon, and this now it gets weird. <laughs> Mr. Childermoss. Oh, here he comes. <laughs> so they're, they're, I mean, they're being chased out in space by, by the thugs. Into the hell hoop. The, into the hell, the hell hoop asteroid field of some sort. <laughs> and out from that comes this massive golden triangular ship. And it sucks them both in to this other dimension. Yeah, it <laughs> kind of reminds you of something, doesn't it? <laughs> Does it? Oh, I was getting big mortise feels from this. Oh, God, I didn't even think of that. You're right, though. Christ. There's this there. weird mysterious shape appears in space, sucks them into it. Yeah, you and then right. like disapp- disappears from in from space, like it like folds into out of existence almost. Like it's very, very interesting. Yeah, I guess because we're dealing with you know the opposite end of this force spectrum there. Like I guess my brain my brain didn't go to Fort Mortis, but yeah, for sure there there's that, mm-hmm. that's there too. So inside this other dimension, which looks a lot like any other they meet a, this cultish weird cult group of people called the five and from there i lose the plot i don't know what the point of any of it is after this <laughs> i don't know it's it's very like uh it's almost like uh like a weird baits motel kind of like <laughs> beginning to it where it's like Oh, it's this like jolly family who lives here, and then then it turns, you know. <laughs> yeah, so the the five they kill the thugs that were chasing Han and Leia uh, because they yeah. were uh, basically they were rude guests. <laughs> so they yeah goodbye, ungrateful with guests. Their magic wands. Yeah, with their magic wand that spits out this black ooze, or venom goo. Yeah, so they're they're dead. I didn't like the way that. I'll say this. I don't like the way that Moore wrote Leia. Like he's, she's like, yeah. oh, Han. And she like buries his, her face in his chest. Like it's too grotesque for her to watch. Like, get out of here. Yeah. This, she watched her own planet get destroyed. She could deal she with this. She was tortured by Darth Vader. She can handle this. And it gets worse later. But um, so, so they're leading Han, Leia, and Chewie to the rec room, the recreation room. But they say, well, you're space ape. No, he can't come. He's, he's this primate we don't want him in our in our recreation room and rather than protest han's like okay should we like you stay here and leia's like what he's like they don't they think he's they think he's dumb and i'm going to use that we're going to use that to my advantage or our advantage mm-hmm. uh so han and leia and the five they're off 
chit-chatting, doing whatever. And Chewie gets to work on escape or doing whatever he's doing. But he's also in this room with another giant crystal. And I don't know what it is with Alan Moore with crystals, with beings trapped inside of them. Because this is this is a different crystal from Ruhr, from the previous story. This is an entirely different thing. And Chewie had overheard the five say that, oh, the, that, the being in that crystal, he's trapped there, but he's super powerful and he'll kill us all. So Chewie's like, oh. A force demon is what they call him. Yeah. Uh, so Chewie's like, well, I guess I'll take my chances and, and release this thing. So he gets to work doing that. Meanwhile, Leia's trying to talk her way out of being captives of the five. I, oh, I yeah, know. they... They call the uh, that crystal that the what's his what, what's the name was uh, Witzek, the Force Demon, Witzek. Uh, they call that crystal an angle trap. So somehow they trapped this Force Demon, right? An angle trap, yeah. But yeah, Leia's trying to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she tries to, you know, use diplomacy to talk themselves out of it, but it's not working. They, they, you can't use diplomacy on cultists. But um, again, like Alan Moore not doesn't do things without a point or a message or whatever. But again, I don't know what's going on in this story. It's it's the weirdest thing. Actually, it's not the weirdest. This to me is the second weirdest story. <laughs> but I, I, I don't get it. Like eventually... Eventually, they they go back to the rec room and realize that well, Chewie's gone. the The pig that we had tied up is gone, but the demon's loose, and the force demon, of course, kills the five, and grants our heroes their release. Yeah, and that's basically it. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's. Just... I mean, that, that's really yeah. a, that's how it goes. It it just ends, and they just. They just fly off, like, <laughs> and like, it's just left hanging. It's like they're talking about the demon, and Leia says it's powerful enough to do that. Basically, destroyed that dimension that they were in, and, and we, we just freed it. <laughs> and Han's like, "Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> Let's just be glad that we've done done it in an empire-held sector of space." <laughs> It's just like, screw all the people who live here. You know, well, this might help us win the war. Serves them right for living under the Empire's thumb. Yeah. Thanks, Han. <laughs> Although we did get these vision, the, these panels of, of Chewie who looks more like Sasquatch. Uh, oh, man. Putting it's, a leash on a pig. It's... <laughs> <laughs> like an anteater pig thing. Yeah, it's... oh. I'll tell you though, like, like, you know, as as goofy and funny as the story is, more can write. Like, at the point when the the five are um, sort of invading Leia's mind, uh, like the caption there, and you see the five, the heads of the five uh, across the pa the panel, but then there are all these monsters and eyeballs and hands and things in the background. And the caption is, on the shorelines of her soul, the princess screams, and the black tide of nightmare rolls relentlessly in. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah, that's, isn't that, isn't that prosy? <laughs> like, whew. Okay. 
Well, that's, that's a little more that, than I was expecting. That comes with the territory with Alan Moore. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Although I will say, like, and this is a reach, but uh, the, like, sort of like the young, I guess, young adult girl. She looks to be maybe a teenager, early twenties, or or maybe a bit older. She has like pink hair and like purplish robes. Mm-hmm. Gave me some Holdo vibes. Not at all through her her characterization just the look <laughs> of her give me a little bit of a yeah. holdo look yeah yeah i definitely got that it's just kind of like um because like you've got the the mother and father and then you've got because the older woman and the older or like the 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 matriarch and the patriarch of of the five yeah and then but these two are clearly in love when they see this like roadrunner run by this like roast turkey roadrunner <laughs> <laughs> like this guy like it looks like this guy just escaped from the like the roasting pan <laughs> like, <laughs> it looks like a turkey with a like a roadrunner head and a rat tail <laughs> it's something else actually the the one thing the pull that I I, I can't believe you didn't make a note of this, but I'm flipping through it now. One of the person's name is Chell. C-H-E-L-L. Which is real close yeah. to an archaeologist in Star Wars who has become very popular. And I don't know if that's on purpose mm-hmm. or a complete complete accident, but it didn't escape me as as we read this. There's absolutely nothing here to tie Chell to Chelly, Dr. Afra. No. I mean, we may have to get Marie on this to kind of give give her kind of <laughs> once over, just to see if she can see can suss anything out here. This is almost like kind of a twisted Noah's Ark, you know, because you've got the I don't know if it's their son and his girlfriend or if it's their daughter and her boyfriend, but it's like you've got this family and then you've got all of these animals like locked up. <laughs> Waco, in Texas this, meets Noah's Ark in the menagerie. Yeah, it's like <laughs> some weird stuff going on, man. Yeah, this was a weird one. This is this one was a bit of a miss for me. Like I, and maybe it's on me. Maybe I just don't know what's going on. But he lost me with this one. It's 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 a bit much. Like I said, like like the when I made the uh, the Mortis connection, it got me a bit excited, but. Yeah, I mean everything wrapped around that was kind of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I like the idea of like a, a force demon, though. Like, I don't know how that would work with how we understand the force now, but I mean it's it's an interesting concept. Yeah. All right. If you thought this story was weird, um, take all the mushrooms, drop all the acid, because it's time. <laughs> it's time for Talotney throws a shape. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh my god, this story is crack. This story is just nuts. I don't get it. And it seems like it starts innocuously enough. It's got it's a, it's a great panel again of a barren alien landscape, which and it, it's a planet doesn't seem it's either nighttime or no atmosphere. In which case, yeah, it's like it's like Monument Valley. Yeah, <laughs> with blue sand. And uh, Leia running for her life. It's just and it's just Leia, and she trips and falls and sprains her ankle, like the trope of every 
movie made from like 1980 through the 90s. <laughs> the young girl falls and hurts her ankles as she's being chased. Like, I rolled my discover, eyes. And then discover something. Yeah, and then she, she stumbles across. She, well, she realizes she tripped on a stormtrooper helmet. That looks like it's been there for thousands of years. It's like, okay, well, explain. Let's go. Let's go, Alan Moore. What have you got here? So, it, and she, then, then in another panel, you see the skeleton <laughs> with the helmet, which doesn't really make sense if it's thousands of years old. You probably wouldn't still have a skeleton, but I guess, you know, who knows? We're on a different planet. Yeah. Maybe there's no bacteria. Who knows? So she's she's trying to escape these stormtroopers who are chasing after her, and she runs into this uh, godly spirit called Tilotni, and she's Tilotni looks a lot like uh, like Polaris from the X Men, like she's just mm. this big green, uh, like a space mermaid. I mean, she's like she's kind of hot. Like let's let's not beat her on the bush. <laughs> she's she's good looking. Like you know, let's let's. let's she's mean. She's green. <laughs> She's a spate, a shape throwing machine. She uh, she really is. She's <laughs> and what it, what is throwing a shape? It just it, it's just like the act of creation and and well, pl- I think and it's play. Ta- no, I, I think it's taking physical form. Is That's it? what I took it as, because yeah, because all of these other, all of these other things, these entities throw different shapes. And they're all, they all look different. Yeah, they do. I, I because, thought it was just like, they all had like this, almost like things are like Play-Doh. Let's see what we could do with this. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think it's like taking physical form because I mean, they're already on the planet, right? Yeah. And it's only thousands of years prior. Um, so that was what I took it as. Yeah. Because you okay. got Horless Horless. <laughs> the big floating purple blob. Yeah, he, so he throws a different shape, and then there's uh, Danda. Let's see, cold Danda, <laughs> the, the little Splint and splendid app. Uh, yeah, splendid app looks is just like a a big pink triangle with a perpetual geometric frown. Oh come on, he's co- he's a cone, Kyle. He's a cone. He's a big <laughs> pink cone. It's like a, it's like a, you took a funnel and used it as a jello mold. Basically, yeah, he, he, yeah, you could. Oh, he almost looks like a big pink triangular Jello mold. Yeah, and the, uh, and and uh, Danda, the little red ball, kind of kind of reminds me of, of coronavirus. <laughs> and they're 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 these spirits, these beings that live on this world, and they're all fascinated with the tiny mover, which is which is what they've called Leia. Yeah, and, and none of them get along. They yeah, all they, hate each other. They all bicker and make fun of each other and call each other names. And I don't like they don't like the way I don't like the way you throw a shape. Your shapes suck. <laughs> um, so they start, you know, they start. And they, oh, yeah. Then the stormtroopers catch up with Leia. So there's now four humans, Leia plus the three. And they're like, oh, my God, look, look at all of these little tiny movers. And so they start to play with them. And um, they they basically twist up the stormtroopers in a way that human bodies aren't meant to twist. Like sometimes when you see like a really gnarly injury happen in sports, like when someone's leg goes the wrong way, <laughs> that's what kind of what's going on here. Like they're just like, 
like just twisting these stormtroopers into like inhumane shapes, and they're like, "Oops!" Well, one of them they turn into like a solid crystal. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh no, they're supposed to be like soft things in there." <laughs> yeah, they're supposed to be squishy inside. You turn it, oh, and they they turn they kill Leia. They turn Leia into a like they turn her heart into a diamond, and she just collapses dead. And they're all yeah. like, "Oh man!" And so they all and just the like, other. T- the other two stormtroopers, they combine into one stormtrooper. So it's this weird, like, tangled mass of stormtrooper body parts. <laughs> all yeah. in one. And then, the, 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 like, three of the four beings are like, this sucked. And they just leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They leave it's the like, big... Talatni, this is pointless. What are, you, what are we even doing here? This was no fun. And they literally just walk away. And they leave Splendid App, the big pink jello mold to sort it all out so all four get resurrected uh except the these spirits again don't operate the same way as we do in terms of time so the stormtroopers are sent back thousands of years while uh, leia is just resurrected and because reasons she stays in her present time and she's perfectly fine she's like what this, okay this that's weird but that answers the mystery from the beginning of why is there a stormtrooper helmet here mm-hmm. in this far fung, far flung planet of, of space? Like, looks like it's been here for eons, which is something that Leia says. Well, now we know it's because it has been there for eons. Splendid app just sent them back in time. <laughs> By the way, That's wild. Splendid app as a name. <laughs> Alan Moore, you've done it again. Yep. We're gonna do some rankings of like the great names in this. Splendid app. Oof. I'm gonna I'm gonna create the splendid app, and uh, I don't know what it'll be. I don't know what it'll do, but uh, maybe it'll just like it'll just be a collection of photos or, or <laughs> you know images of splendid app on right. the splendid app. I mean, when you if 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 the weird side of Star Wars is your thing, <laughs> and why wouldn't it be? This set of stories from Alan Moore is this is your Bible. It every every story has some weird stuff to it. But so it's, to finish this story, um, I feel like by the time Alan Moore got to this, he was either too high to care or too tired and just needed to be finished with it so he, he could go to bed. Like the the last panel is Leia saying, "Those creatures have gone. The Imperial troops have gone, and I'm alive again. But I died." I felt myself die, so how could... Nah, forget it. I'm alive again. That's all that matters. Stranger things have happened in space, though I can't offhand think of any. That's how it ends. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm like, looking over my shoulder. Am I being pranked? Is that it? <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. I, Again, I don't know what Alan Moore was doing. Like, she doesn't even take the Stormtrooper helmet or, like... Just leaves it there in the dust, like no interest in it whatsoever in what just happened. And like again, we we don't know why she's there. We don't know where she's going. She just hobbles off with her bad ankle. Actually, I guess her ankle would have been fine because she was restored to her mint condition. Yeah, I mean, it would be a pretty pretty jerk move of splendid app to bring her back from the dead, but not fix her ankle. <laughs> <laughs> Or I guess, I don't know, a time continuum thing. Put her back exactly as you found her. Mm. It's, uh, I, I think you are right. I think 
Talatni claims that she like I feel like these are like extra dimensional beings like they're they just kind of pop into this dimension and I think Talatni claims that she created it but I don't think any of the others believe that she did I think that's what happens yeah I mean the only, the only vibes I get out of this is like okay there there are spirits and, and larger beings in this galaxy yeah. Like it's not just the force that kind of oversees it all. There's other things at play. There's other really powerful forces that have these godlike powers to of, of creation and oh weird story. God, Alan Moore, you did a weird thing here. <laughs> I mean, I do like the idea, like when we talk like we were talking about the space demon uh, the force demon. And it's, I do kind of like the idea that the force is so big that it doesn't just exist in our dimension. Right. Like, and this isn't necessarily something I'd want to see explored in a story, but just as like a conceptual um, thought exercise, I like the idea that it, maybe like the force is its own sort of realm, you know, like um, kind of like uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, um, but like in Lord of the Rings, when you put on the ring and you're in that sort of or in in marvel you know you have otherworld which is sort of like the source of all magic like i and I, I like the idea of like maybe these things are from like inside the force kind of thing you know like i don't know there's a lot of ways that you could think about it and again like god i'll i'll hate it if they ever touch on it in an actual story but just like thinking through the things it, it's kind of a kind of an interesting concept yeah, it doesn't feel like something you can just float out there in a canonical story. No, I mean, clearly, it didn't work here. <laughs> <laughs> as, mu as much as I love this, it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when we look at Mortis for, like, these godlike things, we all yeah. kind of scratch our heads and go, what the hell? Like, you, you br once you bring in Force Gods, it kind of, not that it qu brings everything into question, but it, it sort of reframes the, the hierarchy of... Who's in charge of what in the galaxy? Yeah, I mean, you could almost see, you could almost imagine that Mortis is sort of a bridge to this other place where there are force demons and there are, uh, you know, whatever these things are, these beings of magic. And, you know, we have the priestesses in the Odark and like, there's a lot of weird stuff uh, that you could get into with the force and you don't want to take it too far, but it's fun to imagine that you know, the force is so big and mysterious that we never really have a grasp, a full grasp on what's going on with it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's maybe that's part of the point. Like, you're, we're never supposed to understand the force completely and we never yeah. will. And I, I would like to think that if we do. Star Wars will have gotten boring, at least in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. If, if we have to resort to, you know, to to that then we must have exhausted every other possible good story we could tell in Star Wars, which I think is unlikely. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I guess I nothing much else to do, but sort of offer up some final thoughts here. Like I, I enjoyed these more than I thought I would overall. Like I, the first three I, I really liked uh, the last two did a lot less for me, but at least they gave me some laughs. There's always that. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's sort of like, um, you know, the first three, I would like to see more 
like uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that explored more and sort of uh, even like a continuation of these stories. The last two is like I, I didn't enjoy them any less because I just enjoyed them in a different way. Yeah. But I have no interest in learning any more <laughs> about any of the stuff presented in them. No. Yeah. They were, they were just too out there and yeah, there's a place in star Wars for, for weird stuff, like the esoteric stuff of, uh, in these, in these issues, there's, yeah. I guess there's a place for it in star Wars. Yeah. Well, you're always going to have those stories. You know, I mean, we, we just got a collection of 40, 40 empire strikes back stories. And, you know, I, I haven't, uh, read, hardly any of them yet <laughs> but uh <laughs> because I, I just got my copy yeah, give yourself but, a break um, but it's um you know i'm, I'm not going to love every story in that book equally no and it's you're not meant to and, and not every story is meant to be a blow off the roof romp you know it's sometimes you it, it's just meant to be fluff and just mindless fun sometimes it's meant to be fun and action-packed sometimes it's meant to be deep and thoughtful like it there are different story different stories serve different roles and i think uh, i think these last two stories their role was to just fill pages in the magazine <laughs> but uh, you know i mean they come out of one of the greatest minds that has ever worked in comics um, for sure. And I mean, I, I, I do think there are even in these last two stories that we didn't enjoy as much. There's some really great gems and some really weird, fun stuff to pull out. Like, I mean, we, we, we spent a few minutes talking about just the characters on the first, the first page. <laughs> I mean, that like, I don't know, man, that guy with the horn with his, <laughs> his pet lizard. Man, that guy's got a st- that guy's got a past. You can tell. Oh, there's yeah, there's there's a lot going on with that guy. Oh man, and he, who knows? Like if if you if we go back and watch some of specifically the Disney era stuff, you might see that guy. Like, how many people have delved into shocked. Alan Moore? Like, he might be on Jeddah. He might be um, playing playing a Sabak somewhere in Solo. It would yeah. not shock me if we go, oh, there's that horned guy. Look at him. He's right. He's been there the whole time. Just that nobody reads Alan Moore's Star Wars. Well, and, and one thing I just thought of that's really interesting is that the only creature from the movies that we see in any of these comics is Chewie. Like there's an, and we saw the Celestin chess piece. But like everything else is like completely original as far as I can tell. You're right. Yeah. It doesn't have any of the classic aliens. Which you would never see now. Like there's always an Athorian or a, or a Rodian or something. Sure. In the background. But these are these are all completely original creations, which is another interesting thing. I mean, I guess maybe there wasn't as much reference. Reference art for. For the creatures back then, I don't know if that would have anything to do with it. You know, you couldn't just Google up a picture of a of an Athorian. Yeah, but, exactly. So, I mean, this this I mean, and it's it, it's no coincidence that some of the mentions or themes in these stories have have filtered up to the screen on screen stuff. It's it can't be a coincidence. Like somebody no 
at Star Wars Marvel, whether it's the creators themselves or like a, a Pablo Hidalgo type person or Leland Chi or whoever is saying, hey, there's some cool stuff in here that we should mine. Somebody is, has looked at this and, and has pulled out very specific things. Yeah, I can't believe these aren't talked about more. Like, you know, I mean, I, I had heard about these years ago, or maybe I'd read about them, you know, in, on a reference page on Wikipedia, Wikipedia or something. But, um, you know, I completely forgot they existed until, I don't know, even remember where I heard someone mentioned it a few months ago. And I was like, oh, man, yeah, I've, I've got to look into that. And sure enough, <laughs> I mean, what a... What a collection of stories. Yeah, like I, I didn't even know this existed. Like, I'm glad you brought this up as something we should talk about. Like, this was not anything that I was ever aware of. No, it's totally unexpected. Like, because of who we understand Alan Moore to be now, like, we just can't, uh, like, it's very, it's very strange to imagine Alan Moore working on a licensed product, you know? <laughs> Yeah, he's 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 never coming back. He's off doing his own things now. But even like we like it, it, this is even different from him working on like Marvel characters or DC characters. Like this is like it's farmed out work, and it's just it, it seems so strange to put someone as top tier. And I mean, you had Walt Simonson working on the Star Wars comic, and you know Roy Thomas working on Conan, and like it's it's not that unusual, but like. And I guess, I mean, we've got top tier talent working on Star Wars now, but I mean, this was very new back in the early 80s. It's just, I don't know. I, it's just unexpected, like you said. Very. And, and not for nothing, but this is Alan Moore writing these. He's less than 30 years old. I always picture him as this grizzled old grumpy man, but he's, he's a wizard. Yeah, he was a grumpy <laughs> wizard, but here he but is. Even Dumbledore was Jude Law once. <laughs> <laughs> He's, yeah, he's, he's, this is, I mean, this is before his seminal works, before he really became Alan Moore. And he's, he's far from the finished product that he, that he'd become. But there were points in this, and this is something you brought up before, how it's very wordy. And there were points where I thought I was reading Chris Claremont. Yeah. And I, it's very dense. Like, especially that first story, the way that he voiced Darth Vader. I, I see if I can find some of the Darth, early Darth Vader's here. Yeah, okay. Alas, it was not your challenge alone that brought me here uh, to chill it, my lady. It seems that the Guild of Vindicators also seek to match wits with me. I have decided to face them here on their own ground. Like, there's <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of stuff that Vader says. Oh, your perception is as flawless as your hospitality, my lady. However, if you assume that I have employed Droom's Gambit, then you are mistaken. <laughs> Droom's, Droom's Gambit is a space chess move, I, I imagine. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I would expect so. It's probably very... based on some ancient military tactic. And it, that's maybe maybe we'll see Thrawn use that one eventually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. But it's it's. I almost feel like I could have been reading Magneto here. Yeah. And it just felt very Chris Claremont. I don't know if he influenced Alan Moore in any way stylistically, because Claremont then was the man. Like he was writing Uncanny X Men at this point, which was, if it wasn't oh, the, yeah. the top I mean, selling book, it it was right there near the top. 
Well, I mean, 75 is when Giant Size yep. uh, releases. So, I mean, I mean, he's approaching. Yeah, he. I mean, he's Claremont's approaching Dark Phoenix Saga, right? Around this point. Like he's oh, yeah. getting yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, may have already may already have gotten through that. Like Days of Future Past. Yeah. Like this is Chris Claremont. Like he's a superstar at this point, and he's another guy. Like we could have thrown him in when we're talking about uh, writers who matured the comic medium. Chris Claremont did mm-hmm. too, but I think he did it in a way that straddled the fence more because his his work always stayed mainstream and never really. Well, I don't say I, I don't know for sure, but. Chris Claremont never took this sort of criticism that the others take for going so bleak and so mature to be off-putting or alienating. No, I mean, I mean, uh, Claremont really is unique in that. I mean, eighteen years on on X Men—that's a—that's a long run, especially in comics. Um, Unheard of. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of times you're lucky if you get six months <laughs> especially <laughs> especially these days um but the, the claremont influenced the uh um the long form of comic books you know i mean up until up until then you were lar- you had largely isolated stories you know like um the galactus galactic saga is was it three issues Right. I mean, it's it's one of the most it's one of the most um, famous Marvel arcs, you know, especially definitely one of the most famous Fantastic Four arcs. Sure. Or or stories. Um, And it's it's only a few issues. (laughs) Well, even some of Claremont's X-Men stuff was like Days of Future Past is two issues. But then the, 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 the Phoenix Saga is dozens of issues. Yeah, and the planting of seeds, and that that won't be, you know, you won't harvest until years later. You know, I mean, that's what Dark Phoenix Saga was. I mean, those seeds have been planted years earlier. Yeah, exactly, and, and that's it's, that's what uh, Hickman does now. Oh well, not to, mean, not to tangent into Jonathan Hickman. We'll be here all week. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think Hickman does it with a little more purpose than even Claremont did. I think Claremont sort of planted seeds without knowing exactly yeah. what he was going to do with them later. Yes. But I think Hickman knows exactly where he's going. Yeah. There's <laughs> like, the, he knows Hick, exactly. Hickman has the, he's had, he has a roadmap, you know? Yep. Exactly. For sure. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I thought, um, in all, I thought this is a, a lot, a collection of nonsense, but it turns out to be much better than I thought it would be. I, I'm happy we did this. This, this was well worth the time to, and well worth anybody's time really to go, Check this out and, and really to see some old Marvel art, see some old the, 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 comics have, have gone and tra- undergone a transformation since this stuff. But just to see like the old connections to what was then that filtered up to screen now is cool. Even though we talked about it here and maybe that's enough, but to go see it and go like to see it for yourself is, is, is a different experience. Yeah. And of course, you know, I mean, Alan Moore was the the star of this episode, but, you know, just to shout out Alan Davis and John Stokes and Adelfo Buila, um, you know, fantastic art, I thought, throughout. Like, uh, there wasn't a moment where I I wasn't enjoying looking at these these stories. 
Yeah, I mean, the, there was there was a version of uh, the version of Han that we got. I wasn't very. He looks more like like the, almost like Curious George's dad. Like, ma- <laughs> like he just has like this straight rail body. Like he was very plain looking. Almost looked like he was balding in some frames. Yeah, but I, but I know I, what you mean. I, I wonder how much of that is like again the access to reference, you know? Yeah, and because just, outside of outside of Star Wars, at this point, Harrison Ford still wasn't the superstar that he became soon after, you know? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not old enough to know what was it that really put. Like, I guess Star Wars put Harrison Ford on the map, and so did Empire. But was it? When he finally had I that think, second hit franchise with Indiana Jones, that he just rocketed and said, "Okay, now he's legit. It's not, it's not the franchise that carries the actor. Like the actor is a breakout." Yeah, I mean, he was in American Graffiti before Star Wars, but I don't think that, you know, I mean, he was back to being a carpenter afterwards. Oh, that was he was in and, such a small role too. Yeah, and you know, uh, I think he was in one movie between um, Star Wars and Empire. Uh, and obviously, I don't even remember the name of it. It wasn't, you know, a huge hit or anything. And then Empire, in, um, and then immediately after, he was in uh, indie. So, I think he I also think was, was in a, Apocalypse Now, but again, a very small role. Yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing that's gonna shoot him into the stratosphere of stardom. No, it's. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it was after indie because you know, it, it's very easy to say. For people who, you know, maybe didn't like Star Wars or whatever, you know, you're not going to like indie too, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're dead inside. Yeah. Anyway. And anyway, just to end it on, a, on an up note here, like this, we're talking about five Alan Moore stories. So short. I mean, this is this was maybe 40 pages in all. Yeah. And we got some great, the, the some of the weirdest stuff I've ever seen. The Splendid App. Mr. Five Lines, Tilotney, <laughs> Dando, Childermoss, uh, the old, the monk lady from uh, uh, the Pandora Effect. Uh, her name was Kubery. <laughs> Kubery. Uh, Wootzek. The Pale Squirmers. The Pale Squirmers. <laughs> uh, lady Dole was the pink octopus that uh, Vader was playing space chess against. Clat uh, the Shamer. Oh, that's so good. That Clat. might be my favorite one. <laughs> Clat the shamer, <laughs> like boy. I wonder what he does. Oh, he probably shames people. <laughs> Put oh, that on your God. business card. <laughs> Nat the shamer. Just give me my business card. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, I mean, I, th- I think we're both in alignment here. This it's weird, but definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I would recommend everybody read these stories. Like I said, they're on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, you can buy them on Comixology. They're, they're, like, if you're buying them on Comixology, they're worth the, what is it, four or five bucks you'll pay for both issues. And like Marvel Unlimited, well, I mean, that's a great deal anyway, but I won't I won't advertise for them. But um, yeah, I mean, they're, these are worth seeking out. And I think everybody who reads them will find some level of enjoyment reading them. Whether it's, yeah, whether it's just chuckling or getting a, a you know, a, a genuine little pop out of uh, the connections, you'll find something. At the very least, you can say, I read Alan Moore's take on Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Now we have to go to change.org and see if we can get him back in. 
All right. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Um, Nathan, where can people find you on the social media? At NAF Roberts on Twitter. And you can find me at Tumbling Saber in, uh, on Twitter and also in the closed Facebook group, Tumbling Saber. Come check it out. Come have a good time and discuss Star Wars with us. Uh, but we hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, I know I sure did. This was a lot of fun, oh, unexpectedly. So much fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, check check the stuff out and uh, have, have a, again, for American listeners, have a happy Thanksgiving. Stay safe, please. <laughs> please stay safe. And uh, we'll talk to you all next time. Thank you guys so much for listening, and may the force be with you. Vader's eyes, these were so good.